The Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. You know, in Acts 15, 11, it says, We believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Well, welcome to Exploring the Word. Alex McFarland here along with Bert Harper. And this is the program on the American Family Radio Network where we read the Word, the Bible, God's Word. And we invite you to get a copy of the Scriptures and follow along with us. We are in the New Testament book of Acts. And then later on in the show, we open up the phones, we take telephone calls and Bible questions. That number uh, that we'll get to later on, but you might want to jot this down, is 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. We'd be very pleased to hear from you if you've got a Bible question. But, um, Bert, here in the last few days, we have had so many good calls, so many good questions, and it always blesses my heart when people, they'll say that they're a first-time caller, and uh, we just appreciate that. It seems like the Lord blesses this show and just... All the time we hear from more and more people getting into the Scriptures through the program Exploring the Word. You're exactly right, Alex, and we do thank people for listening. We're glad you do. It would not do a lot of good to sit and speak into these microphones if we didn't have people listening. And so you're the most important part of this, uh, those who are listening, because it would just, uh, does a tree make a sound when there's no one there to listen? Well, the same thing is, does anything go over the radio waves as nobody has their radio on or, you know, the internet, no podcast. So we, we appreciate all of you who are listening. We say that with all of our heart and we're doing our best to bring you uh, accurate interpretation of the Word of God to help you in any way to grow. And some that need to be saved, we want to make sure that you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And in Acts 15, Alex, I want to tell you, that had to be nailed down. And you already read verse 11, but there were some verses that came before that because this. And really, how do, especially Gentiles, how can they be saved? So Alex, Acts 15 is one of the pivotal chapters. Seem like I say that all the time in the book of Acts. But anyway, chapter 15 is a pivotal chapter nailing down that salvation is by grace through faith. Well, exactly. And you know what? You can see some really good reasoning going on in verse 10. And, and let me say, it's, it's a beautiful thing. When people, um, in good faith, to the best of their ability, they're trying to reason through something, and you can see the Holy Spirit guiding them. The Bible says that the Spirit of God, if we allow, the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. So the question is, uh, how do Gentiles get saved? And they were wondering, well, do they keep the law of Moses? Do they believe in Jesus plus keep the law of Moses? And so let me read this here as they were, you know, processing this and and really wrestling through, and I definitely believe they did arrive at a, at a Christ-honoring, Spirit-led conclusion. Uh, verse 7 says, And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. 
And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by what? Verse 9, Purif- the Gentiles' hearts purified by what, Bert? By faith. And this is the wow. word. And you're yes. going to see that another word appear in verse 11, grace. This is mm. it. Now, Alex, let me say we introduced this a little bit yesterday at the end of our, our discussion of Acts. But the big issue was Paul and Barnabas had gone on this missionary journey. They come back and they tell the folks at Antioch, listen to this. It's in chapter, I know I'm going backward, chapter 14, verse 27. But listen to this. And when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported that all God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Now, this is new ground. And word got back to Jerusalem and certain men came from Judea up to say, wait just a minute, Uh, you need to be circumcised, you need to keep the law of Moses. And Paul and Barnabas withstood them and said, no, we have experienced this. And they said, let's take this to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. And that brought us to this. And let me say one thing. Notice who this, I want to share, I think we not only get doctrine here, and that's important, the doctrine of salvation. That is the primary thing here, that you're saved by grace through faith. That's what we've just talked about. But you also see how a church, I believe, should take care of issues. Let's let me run through this, and then let's go back to the grace and faith, Alex, if you don't mind. Notice mm-hmm. in verse 4, and when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and elders. They were in a multitude. It was the big meeting, and this was reported And they could see that there was going to be some dissension in it because the Pharisees said uh, it's necessary for them to be circumcised and to keep the law of Moses. So verse 6, this is step 2. Step 1, the whole church heard it. Step 2, the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. The leaders of the church took it out of the multitude those that were there that would be young Christians, those that were hadn't grown in the Lord and said, man, they don't need to hear this. They, you know, so they took it into the leadership. They heard, notice this also, they would hear Peter, I mean, Paul and, and Barnabas two or three times. And then finally in verse 12, and we'll get to that, then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring the many miracles. And that is when James answered, And if you turn over to verse 22, notice what it comes back to the whole church. Then it Mm. pleased the apostles with the whole church. In other words, after the apostles and elders, the leaders had understood this, they came back and reported it to the whole church. Alex, they didn't, let me just say it this way, they didn't draw out the dirty laundry in front of everybody. They they did the negotiating, if you want to call it that, the understanding uh, and when I say negotiating, I don't mean somebody uh, did a deal. No, the negotiating mm. was them listening to one another and hearing one another right, and coming right. to a conclusion. Do you see those steps? The whole church, a group, settling it, then them declaring it to the leader and making sure they had it down and then bringing it to the whole church so the whole church could hear it. Uh, if yes. we would do things like that in our churches, we'd be much better off. 
Amen. You know, verse 12 talks about a multitude that kept silence and, and listened. And, do you know, it's a beautiful thing when Christians can do things amicably. Yes. And even if there's a, a disagreement, um, not burn bridges over it. But you're right that, you know, um, it, it is by grace through faith. And Peter reasons, he says, look, why are you... Uh, verse 10, why tempt God and put a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? And, and I want to say this uh, just very respectfully, but I know, Bert, you and I have listeners that um, call in sometimes, and we, we love them, and in no way, in no way am I trying to be you know over, overly critical, but there are people that want to add a work to salvation, and the Bible is clear. Um, believe in Jesus, and you will be saved. That's Acts sixteen thirty one, First John five one. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, and you are born of God. Says First John five one. And now there are plenty of other things that a disciple could and should do. Bert, I think a disciple ought to identify with the local church and be be baptized. But it's not baptism that saves you. Although Galatians 3 says that if we put our faith in Jesus, we're baptized into Christ. But uh, just public water baptism, or even giving tithes, I I think you ought to be a tither, tithes and offerings. But it's not putting money in the collection plate that saves you either. And so, Bert, it is not any work that we do, but it's faith in Jesus and what he did On the cross of Calvary, by which our sins are forgiven. Listen, works do not precede salvation, but works come from salvation. They really do. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. Don't forget 10. We are saved by grace through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are created unto good works. That's it, Alex. From Christ. And, and it proves that, that, yes, something happened in my life. My life was turned around. Christ has changed my life. We're saved by grace through faith. And this is the, this is the first church council. Uh, you can have, they can go back and say, oh, look at this council in Nicaea, this one. But this one is the most important of all. You're saved by grace through faith. And that's what came out of it. In verse 12, then all the multitude kept silent. And listen to Barnabas and Paul. This is the second time. The the elders had listened to them. Now the whole church listens to them. How many miracles and wonders had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had done this, they became silent. James, probably the half-brother of Jesus, had become the leader of the church at Jerusalem, said, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people of his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. And he reads there out of the scriptures and lets them know that in Amos it says that they could be saved. And and Alex, notice this. Peter speaks loudly. James, the two leaders, they are nailing it down because Paul and Barnabas, they're not the guys that can sway the whole congregation. But when Simon Peter and James speak that that has weight, doesn't it? 
Well, it, it really does, because they are, you know, these are apostles. They were with Jesus. They saw the risen Jesus. And so this is a, a great thing that um, the gospel is spreading. And, you know, you and I have often talked about the fact that Acts is a little bit of a transitional book. Um, I hate to say this, uh, talking points, but oftentimes when I'm, I'm doing an interview, um, I'll rehearse, and I've had coaches help me, the talking points where you get very clear and you can share what you're intending to convey. Um, the gospel is the eternal Revelation 14, the everlasting gospel, the good news of salvation. But it's almost like they, they got their talking points uh, well understood in their mind, and they're able all the more fruitfully to share the saving message of Jesus Christ. Well, we're going to continue in Acts 15 when exploring the Word returns. We've got a brief break. More of the book of Acts, plus your calls and Bible questions later on in the program. Stay tuned to the American Family Radio Network. Bert and Alex, so grateful for you listening. We'll be back right after this. Times I've called your name some broken night And you showed up and patched me up like you do every time I get amnesia I forget that you keep coming around Yeah, ain't no way you ever let me down Amen. Thank you, Brent. He is playing some new songs that's coming out uh, uh, that, that, bra- that praises the name of Jesus. He changes lives. I pray he's changed your life. He's changed Alex and mine and Brent's and Richard's, all of us who are gathered here. Uh, God's changed our lives. He can change yours. Alex, I love what James, all of a sudden, the Old Testament verses that were missional, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit is calling them to the remembrance of these leaders. And listen to these here. I just want to read it at verse 16. After this, this is what James, the, the half-brother of Jesus, the leader of the church at Jerusalem, one of them, after this, I'll return. I'll rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I'll rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. Alex, all of a sudden, these Jewish men, I mean, they were Jewish all the way through. God is opening their eyes, not only to what is happening, but also the scriptures in the past where God's heart was for the whole world to know him. And now they're catching that vision, aren't they? Well, you know, every now and then I love somebody that'll kind of take me to task over the idea that uh, Jewish people need to believe in Yeshua as Messiah, Jesus. Now, we know the Bible says that the gospel, it began with the Jewish people and then to the Greeks or the Gentiles. But look, sometimes people look uh, askance at the idea that Jewish people today need Jesus. Now, We've talked a lot about how in Isaiah 49 that the Redeemer of Israel is the light to the Gentiles. And so Jews and Gentiles share the same Savior. But really, the idea, the surprising idea was not that Jews could be saved, because it began with the Jewish people. 
the surprising thing was that Gentiles could know the true and living God. By the way, uh, Dr. Michael Brown tells us that, and he's a born-again Jewish man, and I, I know lots of born-again uh, believers in Jesus who are Jewish, but Bert, they say there's probably um, more Jewish born-again believers today than at any time previous since the first two centuries. So that's an exciting thing too, isn't it? It really is to see what God is doing in the hearts of believers. And while that's going on, listen, what is taking place in Iran, what is taking place in, in I would say, Indonesia, where the population is so highly Muslim, and the number of followers coming to Christ are astounding. I just tell you, and, and it's because they have seen the faultiness and the fallacies of, of Islam, and they're seeing the reality and the truth of following Jesus Christ. And so this has been taking place. God's name is going to be glorified. And so listen to what he says in 18, known to God from eternity are all his works. God knew what it was to begin with at the beginning. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write them to ask them some things, that they abstain things from polluted by idols, sexual immorality, from things strangled and from blood. But for Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Now, Alex, these things you would say they're limitations. These are limitations that believers should live by saying, you know, we don't want to offend. We don't need to be, uh, you know, I would say connected and look more like the world. But he does not add circumcision and keeping the law. He just says, let us, and I love these words, that we write to them to abstain from these things because it's better. It would be best. So Alex, James comes back. He lays it out plainly. As you said earlier, uh, they were so plain, they think there was talking points, but it was so plain that God had saved individuals that, that come to Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, that were saved by grace through faith. But there are some things that believers who follow Jesus should look at and say, we need to not go that way. We need to stay with Christ. So, Alex, I love the thought patterns, as you have said. I love the communication ideas that they come. And it brings to us, I think, clarity in Acts 15 that you are saved by grace through faith, but you're also to consider your brother and not be a stumbling block to him or her. Well, you know, they, they go, and like you said, that— um uh, by the way, I've got to put this in there in verse uh, 26, you know, where um, they're, they're talking and they mention uh, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, so committed to the Savior and the message that they would put themselves at risk for that. But then, uh, verse 31 32, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation and Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. Now, the word there in the, in the Greek means the people were strengthened by this explanation of the gospel. It's faith, not works, but nevertheless, even though it, it is a free grace message that we ought to, you know, avoid fornication and other things, um, like you said, Bert, 
good works and righteous living follow salvation. You don't do anything to purchase your own salvation. We, we put our faith in Jesus who paid it. But I love this, how the restatement of the gospel, and, and not only their lives and the fact that they were committed, even through danger and opposition, but the message they understood, they proclaimed, and the people are consoled, 31-32, people are consoled, the people are exhorted and encouraged, and as the King James says, confirmed, but it really means strengthened and matured in the faith. And guess what? We're doing that to this day, aren't we? Uh, Aren't Christians, pastors, believers, all followers of Christ, we're, we're living it and we're modeling it and imparting it, and that, that goes on among the church to this very day. We have not lost that important message of sharing the good news of Christ and discipleship. Now, Alex, I, I just want to go back. I want to say notice in verses 23 through 30 through 29 is a letter. This is a, just talking about talking points. They even composed a letter to be sent back to the church at Antioch and to be read to that church, but also other churches about what the Jerusalem church, the elders and the apostles have said. And like you said, it has said the very same thing. But I want to notice one thing in verse 25 in this letter. It seemed to us being assembled with one accord. It says we came in, they came into chapter 15 divided they go out of chapter 15 united because they had spent time laboring with the Holy Spirit with the Bible because the Bible is quoted here in verses 16 and 17. That's the Old Testament. They go back and look at the the testimony of what Peter had said had happened to him earlier about what Barnabas and Paul had experienced as they made their way through what is modern-day Turkey and seeing how God had spoken to them. So they go in divided, but they come out united. Alex, I pray that we would have that a desire in our heart, and it shows you if you'll stay with Jesus, let the Holy Spirit guide you, let the Word of God speak to you, I think it does result in us coming as followers of Christ to being united with one another with the things that really matter. Do you, Amen. Do you, catch, do you catch what I'm trying Absolutely. to convey here? There is power in unity and unity of purpose, unity of heart, unity of message. Now, with that being said, uh, i got to pull something out here, if, if I could. Uh, in verse uh, 33 through 35, Um, And talking about Paul and Barnabas here, uh, they tarried there for a space. They were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles, notwithstanding it pleased Silas to abide there still. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So, Bert, I looked up those words, teaching and preaching. It doesn't just say Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch speaking or ministering, but teaching and preaching. So I looked that up. Okay, the word teaching is uh, didaske. Now, you've heard of the didache, which are teachings, and I think we know what teaching is. But the word preaching, do you know what word that is? It's uh, euangelizo menoi, 
But the root there, folks, evangelize. That's it. What a combination, doctrine and evangelism, yes. the dedicate doctrine. Uh, yes. Listen, isn't that what pastors, Sunday school teachers, small group leaders, uh, those two things should be involved <clears throat> in our ministry. Here on Exploring the Word, Alex, do we try to do those two things at the same time? Teaching uh, and evangelizing? Yeah. We do. Now, here's the thing. Paul told Timothy, preach the word, preach the gospel. And that word that's translated preach is, a, it means proclaiming the saving message of the gospel. Now, Bert, let me just say, I would submit to you that there's a lot of churches where preaching doesn't take place. And you say, well, wait a minute, we have church and the minister speaks for the last 25 minutes. Uh, well, if, if it's really preaching, it will explain how people can be born again through faith in Jesus. A lot of teaching, but preaching includes the message of the good news of the gospel, doesn't it? It really does. Notice that, and it is powerful, Alex, that you pull that out. Teaching and preaching. What? The word of the Lord. And I want to say this is exactly what they have just done here in the Jerusalem Council. They listened, but what did they do? According to what I see here, they went back into the scriptures that they had. At this time, they didn't have the letters of Paul. They did not have, uh, uh, if they had Mark, it was early on. They probably had no one of the gospels had been penned as of yet. The book of James probably came out, it was an expanded uh, letter of the letter that they wrote here in verses 23 through 29, the book of James is probably an expansion of that how, how about salvation and discipleship. But here, the word of the Lord, and they went back and they used the Old Testament to see what God was doing. Alex, those of you who are listening today, if you're teaching children, uh, preschool, if you're teaching youth, adults, the Word of God is primary. Get into the Word. Share the Word. What does the Word say? Now, you're not trying to say, well, I've got this thought, so I want to find the Bible to prove it. No, you take the Bible and let the Bible lead you to all truth. That's the way it happens, and that's what they were doing. So, Alex, I love what you just said, teaching and preaching. What? The Word of the Lord. Uh, mm. That is... That was true then, as you said, it's true now. Amen, amen. Well, uh, it goes on, and so it says uh, that um, some days after Paul said to Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. This is a pastor's heart, isn't it? Verse 36. <laughs> amen. Uh, you know, we preached, we evangelized, let's go back and see how they're doing, right? And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark, but Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from another. Hey, Bert, i got to ask you this before I go any farther. I believe Satan tried to divide the church over the nature of the gospel message. Do Gentile believers have to follow the law of Moses, in other words, 
uh, Judaizers were going to add to the gospel. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, they got that resolved. Now, and and it, it doesn't uh, train wreck the gospel. In fact, the gospel goes forth, and ultimately uh, John Mark and Paul got reconciled. But is Satan almost trying to, with Paul, Barnabas, John Mark, and and the others, divide people here and these all equally good godly men are about to get sideways with each other, as we say down south. I, I wonder if um, in it says that there was, uh, verse 39, a sharp contention between them. Is Satan trying to derail things through uh, a disagreement here? The most, <clears throat> the most important thing that you said, trying. He did yeah. not. He, he failed. failed. And I agree with our caller uh, last week. He called, he said, because we were referring to this happening, and he said in place of having one, now he has two. And uh, notice Silas. He has not been around a while, but he must have made some kind of impression because Paul chose Silas and departed. That, And so God, while, <clears throat> while he had Barnabas and using him, God also had Silas on his heart. Notice that it's mentioned several times about Silas and where he was. He wasn't at the forefront at the beginning, but guess what God is doing? He's elevated him to be that man that's going to partner with Paul on the second and third missionary journey. And Alex, I, I, I want to share this. I believe it is so true what you're talking about here concerning Paul returning to the churches. It's part of his missionary strategy. It's called accountability. He wanted to go back and see how they were doing and see if they were following through. And then he'd add to that when he would write letters. So Paul was not just concerned about starting well. He was very concerned about finishing well. Well, Amen. we're going to continue here in the book of Acts tomorrow. But in the next uh, 15 minutes, we're going to take phone calls. So give us a call here at 888-589-8840. It's just like Jesus to give me strength when I need it. Hope when I cannot see it. When I'm falling to pieces. It's just like Jesus to pull me back on my feet. I was ever past the deep end. You wanted me when nobody wanted me. Now I just want Now me in its 14th year exploring the word on the American Family Radio Network. July is always very special to me because it was 14 years ago that we began in July. It was Tim Wildman's idea, president of American Family Association. And Bert, from the very first few shows, we just kind of felt like the Lord was doing something really special with exploring the word. And boy, uh, all these years, I just feel it more than ever that God's God is pleased with this show taking his word to millions of listeners. And by the way, folks, we would like to hear from you. If you've uh, got a Bible question, the number is 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. Lines are open, so if you want to call, uh, there's a good chance you'll get in today, folks. But how about we start with Ken in Texas. Ken, are you there? Yes, sir. Welcome. What's your question? Okay, I'll get right to it. So uh, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, the 
message that I always knew growing up from what I was taught, Bible-based church, strong family faith, uh, that uh, the, the, the message was, uh, uh, you know, it was about homosexuality and, and, right. and, and, and the dangers thereof. Now, recently, um, I heard a message to where it was said that, no, that's not, it's not about homosexuality. It's about non-consexual sex. It's about rape. It's about... Uh, you know, the brutalization of, of individuals, and that's why Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. It's because people were just pure evil, but a committed homosexual relationship is okay in God's eyes. And, and, and that, has all, that, that new, me, new message, quote-unquote, has really raised a fire within me. So I'm I'm, I'm kind of angry about that, and I kind of would like to get your take so that when I can go back and have my argument, I'll have some talking points. <laughs> Way to mm. go, Ken. Alex, go right ahead. If, uh, we we stand together. Ken, thank you for calling. That that's a, We need to make this statement. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah. Um, so first of all, this revision of biblical truth goes back to the 1980s, and I'm not going to name the book or the author, but there was an author, an ex-Roman Catholic priest who turned out to uh, be a, a pervert himself, but he wrote a book, and basically every single scripture that condemned homosexuality, this particular book had a just horribly inaccurate spin to try to say uh, the Bible doesn't condemn all homosexual activity, which it does. The Bible, every mention of sodomy, homosexuality, is condemned by Scripture. And and this particular book from the 1980s, basically there were hundreds of other similar books that came out, and it, it was a springboard for the let's declassify homosexuality as a sin movement. But look, I was just in Second Peter this past weekend, and it talks about the fact in Second Peter uh, chapter two, six and seven, about God turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes and overthrew them. Uh, and it talks about in verse seven that what were they doing? It was homosexual sex, and Second Peter two seven calls it filthy. The lifestyle of the Sodomites was filthy. Um, let me just say this, folks. Um, God does not rain down wrath from heaven for being inhospitable. Or, Bert, I've heard it said that the sin was lack of hospitality. The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was, you know, non-consensual. Even if this were the only passage, first of all, that's still not what what it says, you know, but... Um, You've got so many other passages, 1 Corinthians 6, you've got the Old Testament passages, but I would argue, one last thing, folks, because in the Garden of Eden, God made male and female, that's binary gender, not transgender, but binary, and then God set down as the ideal for human marriage and sexual activity, heterosexual monogamy from the beginning. Reality, as sanctioned by God himself, 
It's heterosexual, a man and a woman, and it's it's tra- what you might call traditional values. So, Bert, those that want to twist the Word of God and deny its condemnation of homosexual activity, um, they're false teachers and they're not to be believed. Exactly, and I, I, if you don't believe it, read Judges 19. Just read what God says in Romans. Uh, read Leviticus 20, and listen, you'll see that homosexuality is a sin. Now, we're sharing with you. We need to know the difference, and I try to say this quite often. The difference in the homosexual agenda, now it's also been picked up by transgenderism. That whole agenda is, is of the devil. It is demonic. It is from yes. the very pit of hell, and I know that strong very much. But there's individuals who are caught in the homosexual lifestyle who have an identity crisis of male or female that need to be cared for and loved and helped. But by promoting their uh, sin, by promoting their crooked thinking is not helping them. We need to speak the truth, but we need to speak it in love. But know the difference in the agenda and the individual. And Alex, Mm. what you were talking about, this individual that wrote the book, he was promoting an agenda. And and those that were looking, it was just like Darwinism. There was people that wanted to deny God so they could deny accountability to God. So when Darwin came out with Darwinian evolution, it wasn't scientific. It was a philosophy. Oh, we have something now that doesn't include God, and we can promote it. Listen, again. Anything but God and anything but what God says is what the world ultimately desires. So we've Mm. got to stand strong in love as best we can in love. Alex, thank you. Uh, Brenda in Alabama. Brenda, thanks for holding. You're on Exploring the Word. Hi, thank you. And uh, congratulations on 14 years on AFR Exploring the Word. We greatly appreciate you. Bless you. My question uh, my question, um, I'm having a discussion with a friend who feels that Jesus did not acquire the Holy Spirit until he was baptized by John the Baptist, uh, according to Scripture that said the uh, Spirit descended on us as uh, a dove. My belief is, is that since Jesus is part of the Trinity, he has always been part of the—he has always had the Holy Spirit within him. So can you— uh, give me some scripture to back this up for him. Okay. So. Brenda, thank you. Let me just use one thing, Alex, and I'll throw it to you. I, I love the baptism of Jesus. I, I, I think it speaks louder than anything, yes, about John the Baptist. But notice, Jesus was there physically. The Holy Spirit, separate from Jesus, ascended from heaven, and the Father spoke. So you have the Trinity. Now, Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. He did not have to have the Holy Spirit come upon him for him to be God, did he, Alex? No, Jesus is fully uh, deity. Some will say uh, the divinity of Jesus. But, uh, you know, it's interesting, Bert. uh, There's one God, and this is a great uh, mystery. One God, the essence or nature of God, is one substance, as the Athanasian Creed says, but yet eternally three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus is not the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Spirit of God, while Christ was here on earth, was definitely operative in the life of Jesus, but um, how 
the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Father or the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father or the Son, uh, the ancient creeds would say, not confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. In other words, the <laughs> nature of God is never separated, and yet the personalities within the Godhead are distinct. Now, Bert, I must confess, I don't understand this. I mean, at least not completely. I definitely absolutely believe it, but that's the unique, unique revelation of God, his triune nature. Amen, Alex. Let me just make this real quick statement. Uh, Brenda, we've got to be willing to live with the mystery. It, we, as Alex said, we know some of, impartial, we can understand, but not completely. And don't let that confuse you. To me, the mystery of how the Trinity works separate but yet together has brought me closer to the Lord. The, the mm -hmm. idea of God's sovereignty and man's accountability or free will doesn't keep me away. It draws me in. Isn't this an amazing God that these two work together at the same time? That is the God we serve. It, it, Alex, I think it amplifies the greatness of God. Mm. And, and you know what? In a way, um, and we ought to really give a lot of time to this, but like when you're worshiping, um, I, in fact, over the weekend when I was at the Cove and we were singing a mixture of praise songs and some of the great old hymns of the faith, it, it really, I was thinking about the meaning of the words. I was in my heart doing my best to give glory to Jesus. My emotions were stirred, just like Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, but three persons. Uh, when you're walking with the Lord, worshiping the Lord, it it envelops the whole person, your mind, your body, your emotion, body, soul, and spirit. It's a triune universe, and I really think you're, you're the most alive you'll ever be is when you're worshiping God, the triune God, our Savior. Um, it really does envelop the whole person. Well, uh, Emmett in Arkansas. Emmett, welcome to the program. Hello, how are you? Good. Thanks for being on. My question is, we have a denomination that says that you have to be baptized to be saved, which I don't believe that. I believe that you need to be baptized, but I don't believe you you, you have to be saved to be baptized. Does that make sense? I, I guess I'm saying that right. Well, you don't have and to Alex, be baptized to be saved, Emmett. Yeah. Listen, uh, Alex, take that away. Well, the, the New Testament uses the word baptism in two senses. One, there is baptized into Christ when you're born again, and that's in, in the book of Galatians. It talks about that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are baptized into him and into his body. Then the other is water baptized, like the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, what hinders me from being baptized? And Philip says, nothing if you believe in Jesus. So, Bert, um, you know, I think we've got to be clear about the two senses. Yes, you do have to be baptized in the sense of being born again by putting your faith in Christ. And if you do that, you are baptized into Christ. But in terms of water baptism, which is a public proclamation of the salvation that's already taken place. You don't have to be water baptized to go to heaven. But 
being water baptized is a fine thing to do once you've been born again. I would say it's an important thing to do. Let me just add that word yes. because it's discipleship. It's showing it's your it's really your personal identity with Christ as as an act. And the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the the baptism into Christ is the Holy Spirit of God coming into our lives, the indwelling Holy Spirit. Emmett, thank you for your call. Where to next, Alex? Uh, Janet in Virginia. Janet, welcome to Exploring the Word. Thanks for holding. Thank you. Let me turn my radio down. Yes, okay. please. The thing I'm calling about is I know that it says, this is a, that to me, this is an exciting time to live because the Word says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray and seek my faith and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. And I see um, different denominations and different groups of people and all dropping labels. Okay, Janet, we got it. The, the sound, we don't know exactly what's causing that, but it's really loud, but we got it. They are dropping labels. <clears throat> I see good in it. <clears throat> I see, uh, it, I think it causes people to better investigate every church they attend and decide to join because they don't have the label. We used to when they said Baptist or Methodist, you knew pretty much what you were getting, Alex. Uh, yeah, that's true. But, but not anymore. You know, you never know for that's sure. That's true. You know, denominations came about really for two reasons. One, you know, people with similar theological uh, bents would gather together, but really denominations were Christians, you know, that wanted to pool their resources for missions, and that's a good thing, too. Look, denominations are fine as long as they are faithful to the Bible and preach the Word of God. Um, it's being a, a non-denominational independent church, that's fine, too as long as you're faithful to the Bible and preaching the Word of God. And being missional. Again, you yes. see, I, I, I do want to come here. We won't have time for another call. Peggy, Bobby, we would have loved to heard from you today, but time run out. But let me say this, Alex. As you said at the beginning, it started with mission about churches. And let me just say this about what's happening in the United Methodist Church. About 6,000 have withdrawn from United Methodist because of the direction they were going. And many of them are joining the global Methodist movement, and they're yes. doing that for missions and education. Those are the two things that really brought churches together to form a denomination so they could do missions effectively and so that they could have an education system that would effectively train missionaries and pastors. And so denominations are not evil. Uh, they can right. be good, but they need to stay on track with God, don't they? They really do. Folks, thanks for listening to Exploring the Word. We're going to be back again tomorrow with more from the Book of Acts. You can listen again, share the show from AFR.net. Tell somebody about the show, but most of all, tell everybody about Jesus. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.